Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dan Assor Show, supported by TF Connect, Tarsus Group, Terrapin and 19 Group, and the show's official venue sponsor, Carbon Neutral Conference and Exhibition Centre, BDC London, who are currently setting their sights on reaching net zero before 2030. Visit bdc.london for more information. Please check out all of my content on danassor.com and be notified first about new episodes by subscribing to my YouTube channel and by following me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify platforms. Good afternoon, Tess. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Delighted no, to thank you. you. Um, and you've been busy, pr- pr- obviously, doing this new book, which I'm going to hold up. Uh, <laughs> I've got it in front of me. You kindly sent this to me pre-Christmas. So uh, this was some of my, my Christmas reading. Um, I'm always interested, before we get into the, the thrust of what we're going to talk about, leadership, people that have you know done a book, talk to me about the process. How exciting was it for you? Uh, so, well, super exciting and a bit surreal. Yeah. Uh, I had, I've had writing a book in my head for a few years. Sure. And I've known what direction it was going to be. It was going to be around the leadership and the coaching space because that's where a big chunk of my time is spent um, in yeah. business. And, and actually, it's where I get the fire in my belly, really helping sure. individuals fly. In terms of the process of the book, the thing that actually got it on paper, well, COVID helped a little bit <laughs> because obviously I was locked up at home. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I did is I signed up with a book coach and um, so that was on coincidentally uh, to a degree on World Book Day. I signed up to work with this lady, and every Friday for 12 weeks, I had to have written a chapter of the book. So she helped me, of course, scope it out first and then get some clarity in my mind around each of the chapters. And then that was yeah. it. I was off in the writing mode. So, yeah, every Friday I was uh, ha- had my feet held to the fire and um, had to have a chapter. And well, then it went out for some lovely feedback well, from some test readers before finishing well, up. Well, congratulations, because lots of us, including me during lockdown, weren't writing books. We were probably <laughs> uh, doing TikTok videos and, you know, different different things like that. So, but it's interesting that you had a coach and we're going to talk about some of the work you do. Specifically, we're going to talk about leadership today in the 20 to 30 minutes that we've got. Um, and I should say for people that are watching, we have got quite a few, please, if you have a question, or comment on anything we discuss um, over, the, over that time, please put it in the comments box, whether you're watching on YouTube or on LinkedIn, and uh, I would try and put it to test. So, Tess, specifically, um, my audience are event and exhibition professionals. And around this time, January, lots of people are posting on LinkedIn that they've been promoted. Um, and leadership means different things, right? So you could be leading a team of two people, one person, uh, or a company, and I know specifically you work with with senior leaders. But to start off with, in, in, can you define, if possible, what leadership means to you? Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, just as a precursor to that, I would yeah. say that I've grown up through organisations myself when I've only had a team of one, a team of yeah. two, and then up to many, many more than that. So I understand from the experience of sure. you know that, that incremental movement. And so I suppose the way that I would describe really good leadership, it's a combination of setting a really clear direction, yeah. uh, involving people in how they can get to that direction. So that co-creation is key in my view. 
and then being able to bring people with them by inspiring, by spending time with people. Um, and something we'll probably circle back a few times around is one-to-one -one time with people being really clear about who are you, who am I, why should you follow me? So yeah. that, that trust on the individual level, I think, is key. So we're answering the why. We're answering the why are we here, what are we doing, and who are you? So yeah. I think those are the, the key things. And it's interesting as well because we might think of leadership in a business perspective, but obviously in our daily lives, we, we have to lead in a vertical, yes. you know, in certain situations, whether yeah. we're, you know, out at a shop or cinema or something that might thrust us into a leadership situation or at home, dare I say. Yeah. Um, and I know you talk a lot about in your work and in the book and in a lot of articles that I've read that, you know, you, you sort of need to bring that into into your being into a work environment as well yeah so you know i've uh, in, in the book and, and thank you for taking the time to to read that yeah. in the book i start with and i think this is another attribute of, of good leadership i start with talking about my own journey and, yeah. and, and in particular the difficult parts sure so i think that's a really important element and my difficult parts weren't in the work situation they were outside of work but of course we can't separate ourselves. We're not two different people. We're actually the same person. Yeah. So if we can be in uh, in a business, if I bring it into that context, allowing people to be a whole person so that they can flip into those leadership positions regardless of the context. Sure. And I think as leaders, as managers of, of others, helping people grow to be able sure. to do that flex, I think is really important as well. Yes, it's very much, I don't know you do this, taking the holistic approach, right? So it's not a question of you leave the front door, you go to work and you're a different person. Actually drawing yeah. on some of the strengths and in certain occasions, I guess, framed weaknesses that people have and actually develop, developing them as a more rounded human being, right? Yeah, and I actually, I, was, I would go as far as to say, you know, there's many things that evolved since the era called COVID. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, the big ask of managers and leaders since COVID is we have to be, in my view, better at thinking about the person as a whole person. Because sure. quite often you're asking them to work at their peak and they're sitting in the kitchen or they're in a flat chair yeah. and, you know, they've got lots of other variables around them. So if we don't think about them as a whole person in a different context, then I think we're, we're diluting the value that we can add. Sure. And we're going to come and talk about the different situations that people are now finding themselves in terms of leadership. And again, specifically January, new leaders, new positions and actually managing a team uh, and maybe different circumstances. Yes. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading and also soul searching. We spoke about this beforehand in terms of the leader that I've been. Um, and, I, you know, I read about you've got different types of leaders, depending on what article you read. There might be 15 types, 10 types. I, you know, I quite like what I've got down here, which is distilling it into three types, autocratic, democratic, and laissez-faire, so it's sort of easygoing. In your experience, does that resonate with you in, in your work with leaders? Um, have you found there's a commonality between, you know, three or four different uh, traits? Yeah, and there's a lot of research on this as well, Dan. So um, there's some great work that's come out of um, Corporate Leadership Council, um, Corn Ferry Hay Group, around exactly this point and sure. it sits in that domain of what's often called emotional intelligence and what the research tells us is there is a range of styles 
And depending on, as you say, what article, what framework, that can be, you know, a small number like three up to 12, typically. Um, I tend to use a framework that's got six. But the point being, we know from the research that you need to be able to flex. And a minimum of two in your toolkit is really, really important because that helps you be... Um, you're more able to flex depending on the people that you've got, depending on the situation. Um, and that can sometimes be a challenge because on the flip side, we often hear about integrity and being true to who you are. Yeah. And sometimes that can feel contradictory about flexing and then being true to who you yeah. are. Um, what, what I uh, would say and what I've learned, I guess, myself is be really clear on my core values but flex my behavior across those styles, depending on okay. are we in crisis mode or yeah. business as usual? And who am I, who am I leading and what, what kind of behavior from me will get the best out of them? Sure. That's a really good point because I think, you know, and I've, I've done it myself and I was saying to you beforehand, you know, when I, when I was in my twenties and I was sort of thrust into leadership, I saw, I guess I felt I had to tell people what to do yeah. maybe. And as you grow, you understand that a consultative approach for a lot of occasions might be better. Yeah. But actually what you're saying is you, you don't have to, you, you need a flexible, fluid framework. You know, 100%. you can't be rigid in that respect. And actually you can flex between autocracy, you know, having a consultative approach um, yeah. and not worrying that, you know, you're letting your guard down in certain situations or people are going to take you as a weak leader, whatever that. that yeah. Whatever yeah, 100%. Um, the notion of born leaders, right? So we hear this a lot, you know, that person, he, she is, is a, it was born to lead. Do you think it is more, you know, more nature than nurture or a combination or, you know, are there born leaders? Um, well, let me, let me hold that question alongside yeah. what's the perfect leader. Yeah. And my view is there isn't one. Okay. Um, and so I don't. And for a long time, haven't aspired to be a specific person, you know, as a role model. What I would aspire, which I think is far more powerful and actually far more accessible, is to think about the attributes of certain people. And you can harvest some attributes from one and, and other attributes for another. Sure. So coming back to the nature and nurture, there'll be some things that are more natural for you. So being directive, having a real, you know, being able to articulate a story and a narrative, that may come very naturally to you, but other aspects of leadership might not, in which case that's when coaching, development and having a role model can help. So you can build that part of your portfolio up. So sure. I don't think there's one set um, of attributes that make you a natural born leader. But sure. make the most of what you are born with, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm sort of thinking that in, in crisis situations, wherever that may be, some people do tend to just step up and come to the front, right? And yeah. I've noticed it in the last 18 months and when the pandemic hit and the company I was in, all of a sudden certain people that weren't necessarily in a leadership position yes, just came to the fore and put their hand up and got on with doing stuff. And maybe others that were leaders by their role yes. shrunk a bit. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I can really, I can really associate with that because um, if we if we drop down into what is that telling us, 
there, there will be some individuals where their natural style is about structure, it's about clarity, it's about, you know, that direction setting. And pre-COVID, they would be able to lean on that strength. But during sure. COVID, there was no knowns. It was very ambiguous. It was complex. It was frustrating. And there were other people who are much more comfortable in that kind of environment. So they feel more comfortable to step forward and play to their strengths. So it's quite sure. interesting how those two things played out. I've seen that as well. Sure. We just touched upon it earlier, but um, it'd be good just to delve into it a little bit more. You talk about yeah. authentic leadership quite a bit and leaders speaking their truth. Um, yeah. Can you just explain that a bit more, what you mean by that? Yeah, so, well, well I'll, I'll talk about the, um, I, I know you read one of the articles that yeah. um, that came out of this and, and, and a poem that, was intending to articulate that process. And it came from a really difficult experience. I won't go into it in my niche, but I'll well, give you a flavor. I was, I was in another country, in the middle of nowhere on a training program. And, the, and I've only ever experienced this once, but the, um, the trainer, um, well, to say that they were difficult, pedantic, harsh demanding and actually to the point where they were physically you know invading your space would be an understatement sure. um, you know it was a very it felt like a very threatening place to be never thank god experienced it since never before and i my initial response was to stand back to shy away and not to say anything and and be you know to comply if you like with the rules of their game and and that was not who I am, but yeah. I was in that situation that this is my survival mechanism. I just need to withdraw. And actually, over the course of a couple of days, I realized actually I need to be who I am. And I really did a bit of soul searching over those 72 hours. And no, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. I'm going to be really clear on who I am, what I will accept and what I won't accept. And by the third day, I got to a place where I just put, in vertical commas, put my foot down and said, no, you're not crossing a boundary of what's no longer appropriate. Sure. Now, hopefully people don't generally experience that in a work environment. By, but by speaking your truth, what I'm referring to there is be really clear who you are, stand on your values, have them, you know, as holding you in a, in a place of consistent behavior and show up in the world where you know, people would be happy to be around you and then you can choose yes or no depending on what's happening in any situation. But yeah, my initial was to withdraw and sure. actually I completely lost myself. But within 72 hours, no, I need to find me and put myself, you know, on on the table, so to speak. Sure. No, very, very insightful. Thank you. And you mentioned truth there. Um, and I guess leadership is sort of, in the news at the moment um, <laughs> yes. with our esteemed uh, prime minister, Mr. Johnson. Yeah. Um, do you think there's ever a, ever a time where leaders, um, not necessarily lie, but for the greater good, um, don't always have to or shouldn't tell the truth because they need to take a team or in this maybe instance of, of our prime minister, the country on a journey and actually you know, you don't want to instill fear, you want to instill confidence. So you might not yeah. necessarily believe, you might not necessarily believe what you're saying, but you feel it's appropriate to say it. 
That's a really difficult one. Um, yeah. You know, but both both at that societal level, but also on a practical day by day level as well. Um, and I guess I would say a, a couple of things here. One is, if I bring it into an organisational context, yeah. it's not helpful. And in fact, people will normally smell it a mile off when we are we don't when we have secrets. Yeah. So if there's a secret, I think I think we can underestimate, undervalue that intuition that people have. They'll know there's something rumbling. Um, and so it's not helpful because what happens in the absence of the truth and in the absence of um, you know, the real deal being spoken is people will make up a story and often it's a story far worse than is the reality. So if I start with that as a, as a basic premise. Sure. Um, and, and of course, if you have a few iterations of secrets or lack of truth telling, then of course you, you get to a place where you lose completely the level of trust. And when you've lost that, it's very hard to get yeah. it back again. Um, you know, and again, we, if I, you know, th there's loads of research around the importance of trust in a business relationship. Um, and most individuals will leave their company because of their manager and that relationship sure. rather than the company itself. Sure. So um, it's a very delicate um, balance. The way I hold it for myself from a leadership point of view is I distinguish between openness and honesty. Okay. And if we think about, you know, my some of my previous roles have been, um, you know, in my HR director role, for example, we would have had lots of situations where we're restructuring, we're potentially looking at redundancies. I'm not able to be fully open um, about that situation, sure. but I can, if I stay authentic, let people know we're working on something. We don't know yet, but we'll know will let you know when yeah. so i can be as clear as i can without misleading but we're not at a point where i can spill um, all of the information so i keep my trust yeah but i don't unveil what's not ready to be unveiled so it's it's a balance yeah and there's obviously nuances within that and i, I think you're right because ultimately you probably only get get away with it once by saying something that's maybe yeah. not true if you've got to work with people going forward and it comes out then you can't do that again. You know, you yeah. might, you've broken that trust yeah. in a situation where you can do it once and you're maybe not seeing those people again, possibly, but, you know, not if you're trying to build a culture uh, in an organisation. Just briefly, I know um, you work in a specific way with leaders and organisations. Can you just bring to life the systemic approach, please, that you... you yes, that means. Um so we think of a if I if I talk first of all around what I mean by the word system, it's it's a living entity within which people work together. Um, and I'll, I'm going to speak about it from the point of view of you know the, the working um, framework. When I'm working with individuals, and a lot of my work is one to one, but I do work quite a bit with leadership teams and getting them to think about the organisation as a whole system. Um, and so. But if I reference you specifically the one-on-one -on -one work, quite often when I'm working with a leader, we will have the dynamics of their personal system, i.e. their family setting, playing out in the organization. So there are certain patterns that belong in their family that without them realizing it, they're unconsciously playing out in the organization. 
Yeah. And there was a great article in Harvard Business Review um, in the last couple of weeks, and it was called something like the family ghosts in the executive suite. And that's the essence of what we're talking about here. We don't sure. realize sometimes that the dynamics in our family play out in the organization through our leadership. So the work that I do is to help individuals when I'm working individually unpack of what's happening, what belongs to my personal system and actually what belongs to this organization. Sure. And to, to the and to the right extent separate out the two. Um, and then if if I stay with your question, what do we mean by systemic? Then we say, well, what's needed for a healthy organizational system? And you know, there's many layers here, but I'll just give you sure. high level. Um, we need a sense of order. So a sense of order means people can find their place in the system. It feels like there's a mutual exchange, there's a give and take. We have an honoring of the history and we have a sense of belonging. So there's sure. some really big fundamental things there that give you a sense of order. By orientation, which is the second of the three O's, we have a sense of purpose. Why do we exist? And then a clear sense of leadership to bring everyone with them. And then the final of the three O's around a healthy system is around we have an openness to be able to touch into what's happening in the sector, what's happening in the industry. We have an openness to evolve and experiment. We're not, we do this and we do nothing else. We're this, you know, very tight boundaries. The whole system wants to grow sure. so we can be open to those signals. Thank you. I think because obviously leaders don't operate in a vacuum, right? They operate within a framework of a business yes. that's a global business or one location business or yes, absolutely. small business. Um, you also talk about the book, um, the need for a shift in perspective to what the organization needs from its leaders, not what the leader needs from its organization. Yeah. Can you explain a bit about that, please. Yes. Um, so the, there's two fundamental mindset shifts needed to really think about the organizing system as a system, and this is one of them. Um, and it sounds simple, but actually is quite a fundamental U-turn, if you like. I had to um, read that bit many times. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, let, you know, let's imagine we've been given our first leadership role. We really want to get into the driving seat. We want to go as fast as possible. You know, we really want to do well. Um, and that's very much a, a driving force. It's back to the directive autocratic leadership style that you were talking about earlier. Um, but actually... Um, far more powerful way of, of operating is stand back and go, what does this living entity, which is full of people trying to do their best work, need from me? Um, so that's a very much a tell me what you need and I'll give, rather than yeah. I will ask for everything that I need in a push. So it, yeah. it really is a 180 degree shift. Yeah, makes, makes sense. Um... You also talk about whether leadership in an organization is enabling or disabling the system. Yes, yes. What do you mean by that, please? Um, so well, there'll, be, there'll be a number of things that can disable a system. One I've alluded to already, if the yeah. leader is playing out their family dynamic and will have both positive dynamic and negative dynamics, if they're playing out those dynamics, in the organization they're not always helpful so they could be inhibiting flow and energy and the health of the system um the other thing that will disable a system really quickly 
on a really practical level is if we have people underperforming and we're not addressing it, we're sending out a very mixed signal. Yeah. So really being able to, and I don't mean I don't mean automatically go to move those people out of the organization. What I mean is following up those individuals, find out what's happening with them, find out what's stopping them from performing, what do they need differently in order to allow them to perform. But but by not doing that, you'll disable. Sure. By bringing in the wrong caliber or the wrong culture of people, you're disabling it. So there are many things that you need to have a bit of a watch on. Sure, thank you. I know, I know we're not going to touch upon it today, but I know you do a lot of work with culture in an organisation as well. Yeah. The two go hand in hand. The last um, 18, 24 months, forget where, where we are, obviously um, lots of people working from home. I still don't know if we're under a working from home directive. We sit here in January. Who knows <laughs> what we're meant to be doing and what not. But, it's a bit blurry. Yeah, but also lots of companies or global offices don't necessarily get together in person. Um, and so you've, you've probably got leaders watching this that are have dealt and new leaders that are going to be dealt dealing with a virtual workforce, right? Yes. And that's very different. Um, what sort of advice do you have for leaders and what have you seen over the last 18 to 24 months in the area that are sort of best practice? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge it is challenging. Um, yeah. It's not the same, and you can't copy and paste what you would normally do in the office into a virtual space. Sure. Um, I know teams that have tried that with the best of intentions, uh, and it's not that effective. So it's really important to acknowledge the enormity of what we're talking about. Um, in terms of things that I've seen um, working, um, and, and I would, my, my counsel would be to really put some attention on this, is things like, is there a communal space, like a chat facility, that everyone can, um, you know, be contributing to? Some people will use Slack, some people, Teams, you know, different technologies. And the reason why I'm saying that, um, and I start with that, is at a fundamental level for an individual, what the organization needs to give them to hold on to them is a sense of belonging. Yes. And so to foster and maintain that sense of belonging is the communal spaces where people can come together, even though they're not physically in the same space. And so I, I highlight that as a really important because that can create the camaraderie. It can enable the banter that you would normally have at the coffee machine or wherever you go for lunch. You know, keep that human side, that liveliness um in play and think about what might be the right technology for you to do that then from a manager and a leader point of view don't underestimate the value and what people will get out of just a check-in call yes yeah, so um, one of one of the uh, people that i've been coaching over the last year um, a leader um is uh, he had a bit of a revelation on how how, how his people really appreciated a 10 minute, no agenda. Yeah. I know you're working on X. I know X, Y, and Z's happened at home. Just ring in to check in how you are. So again, you know, I lay out that human side as quite an important piece. 
So yep. it doesn't need to be an onerous 30 minute or an hour, a 10 minute actually has huge value. The other thing that I've seen work really well is some people will call them stand-up meetings, but that short chart, gather the team together virtually at the start of the week, let's say, or it could be at the end of the week. How are we doing? What's on the agenda? Anyone need any help? You know, how can you all help each other? So there's so that so there there's a collective banter, collective sure. stand-ups and wonder ones. I think those would be the, the big things I would call out. Yeah, because I think. And again, maybe right at the beginning, where to be fair, even the most experienced leaders hadn't experienced this situation for obvious reasons. Yeah. There might have been a tendency to smother staff, you know, trying to make them accountable every minute of the day. What are they doing? Yes. What are they doing? I can't see them. But then yeah. you don't see them in the office every minute, right? You know, so yeah. they're just getting on with their, their thing. And I, I think you talk about, and it's probably still your words, establishing a balance between driving performance and flexibility. Yeah um and you know making sure that people are still showing up and accountable but not necessarily being on top of them every every minute yeah and that's that's where the stand-ups will help because then yeah. you're, you're you're getting everyone to call out what they're working on and where they'll be at the end of the week and that will vary obviously depending on what function people are in but that's giving a collective accountability so it isn't just about manager and direct report it's about the whole team however whatever size of team that is and I think we can sometimes underplay the, the importance of holding each other accountable. And sometimes as an individual, we'll feel far more accountable because we've called it out to our colleagues, what we're expecting to do, than perhaps we sometimes will to our manager because we can mitigate that and talk through things that got us blocked. But with our colleagues, we're thinking about how we're showing up. Yeah. I've got a comment here that I'll put up from... Um... From Mark Eddie um, talking about emotional intelligence. Yeah, uh, the emotional intelligence of a leader is paramount to work to support the success of each team, and each team member is essential in putting them before yourself as the leader. Would you concur with that? Yeah, hundred percent. So, so that very much is that mindset shift we just talked about. Is what do they need from me, and how do I flex to get them to fly? Because when they fly, you know, as a leader, you know, we succeed anyway. Sure. So flexing to, to meet their needs is, is really where that's at. Excellent. Thanks, Mark, for that, that comment. Um, all of this impacts on staff retention, uh, I guess. And the industry sort of exhibition world um, that I operate within, and I know this yeah. firsthand, um, there's definitely, you know, they're looking for staff. Lots of people have left the industry at certain levels and certain disciplines, sales, yeah. marketing being two of them. It's been quite hard to to get new candidates into the building or virtually and so it's ever more important to retain staff right so i guess a lot of this a lot of the work you do yeah directly or indirectly impacts on that can you, can you yeah so it's everything from are we are we recruiting the right people that have got some longevity are we recruiting at the right level? Because if we always, for example, if we always recruit at the senior level, but we don't actually build from the bottom and allow them to grow, then we're a bit exposed. Sure. There's also the, the element of, you know, have we got the right culture where people actually enjoy being here when they arrive? So putting some attention on that, I think, is also really key. Yeah. Um, new leaders, we spoke about that. It's January, so some people were coming in. Yes. Um, and I, I know traditionally you deal with a, a senior level, but let's say, you know, we've got a middle manager, um, you know, a team of five or six people. 
yes hopefully they're going to get some coaching from internal or external um but in the short term what are the sort of tips and advice and things that they could be doing practically in the next maybe yeah. two weeks um so i think there's, uh, there's definitely some very practical um counsel one is um if you have literally just joined, spend time with each person and find out what you've inherited, yeah. both in terms of the people, but also, you know, the journey that the team have been on, where they've succeeded, where they've not, and some of the root causes of that. Um, so make sure you have a really good understanding of the history. Have a really good understanding of the people that you've got and how their needs might be different. So that would be number one. Number two would be then... Uh, work on as quickly as possible and ideally in collaboration with your team our sense of purpose why do we exist as a collective what's the yes. point if i was to put um it very bluntly um now it's really good for you as a new leader to have a sense of that but ideally get your people gathered and help get them to help you consolidate that thinking so yeah. why are we here so history why are we here what are the roles of each member of the team? So we don't have overlapping and competing roles, but we also have really clear um, areas of responsibility. And then finally, spend time with each person and get the team to spend time with each other to build that trust. Yeah. So those would be the big ticket items I would say are really essential for a new leader. The final thing I would say, um, and this is more of an ongoing one, um, is my particular um, soapbox, if I were to have one, um, from helping people move through the, the layers of management into leadership. I think it's a skill that is essential, and that's giving quality feedback. Yeah. Quality constructive feedback. Yeah. Um, and if I refer back to the research I was talking about earlier, when done well, feedback can lift performance by more than 30%. Yeah. So that's how essential it is. So really hone your skill around giving feedback. And by feedback, I don't just mean great job, thank you. That's not feedback. It needs yep. to be specific. I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, there's possibly a mistake and a tendency for it maybe inexperienced leaders or people that are going to the first position to think, right, yeah. I've got to show my new team that I'm doing something and I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna change that, and I'm gonna do that. And actually you know, take a step back, yeah. see what you've got, see what people want to be doing. The consultative approach in that early stage is critical. If you get it wrong then, yeah, and it's going to be hard to sort of re rebuild that trust going forward. So that's some really, really insightful um, advice. So so thank you for that. Um, and actually, I've got a comment here from Ed, Emma who's put, this is really educational and understanding the theories of how to lead and set key examples. So thank you. Yeah, it's definitely helping already. Um, sadly, we are running out of time. I just want to touch upon how you work with companies and um, and individuals. Yeah. Spoken about the systemic approach. And born out of many years of implementing that approach has come your harness framework. So yeah. we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail. Um, but can you just give us a, a sense of, of how that works, please, and what that means? Because that obviously yeah. that, that's... <laughs> that's your book i guess harness yeah, yeah. so um so, so the the name of the book is harness and harness yeah. is actually a coaching framework as well um and it's a framework that embraces the systemic approach thinking about it's an entity and there's lots of things that are in the myriad of um, elements you will uncover as a leader um 
So um, the seven key steps, so I'll just try and do this as quickly and as headline sure. as possible, but still giving a, a sense of reality. Step number one, and it alludes to what I said a moment ago around new managers, honor history. If you disrespect what's happened before, all you end up doing is triggering resistance to what you want to do. So let's first of all honor what's happened before and all of those that have contributed to it. Um, and when I'm working for leaders one-on-one, -on -one, which is what the harness framework is, it's acknowledging they've had a journey up to this point and it's informed who they are and how they're showing up. So let's be respectful of that. Um, but let's also, step number two is the A, acknowledge the reality. There will be things that are working and things that are not. So it's finding a way to really cut through the noise and distill that. I do that through gathering stakeholder feedback 360, but there are lots of ways that you can get that reality check. So sure. step number two. Step number three is then releasing any limiting patterns that are getting in the way of both the individual, but also the individual's team and organization. So that could be something from the family system, or it could just be something from the history that you've uncovered um, through that diagnosis. Then the N is nurturing that sense of awareness around, actually, this is not just about me. This is about my team. This is about a wider context. So creating that ability, as we said a second ago, to zoom back. Um, and really look at the whole. Um, then it's about engaging with what's trying to come here in terms of a future. Let's engage with the nudges, the intuition, the customer stories that are coming at us that give us a hint around what needs to shift. Then we have the sense of purpose. I've already mentioned how important that is. And then finally, let's solidify all of that together in terms of what's the leadership brand that you want to have as a leader. And if I could simplify that last point, what would be the few words that you would love somebody to share if they were describing you? And that's giving you a really strong hint on what your leadership brand is. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, thank you today. You know, we've got some comments and lots of people are going to watch on demand as well. And I, you really give us some practical advice. Um if people want to work with you, I guess they can find you on LinkedIn, uh, yep. on your website, the Transformation Agency website. I'll hold up the book again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your, I'll be your publicist. Oh, like really, okay. it really is a great read. Harness assisted systemic approach guaranteed to revolutionize your coaching um, by Tess. So Tess Cope, thank you so much for your time today. We Pleasure. wish you the best with uh, with the book and with all the coaching you're doing with clients.